This is an audio recording of the Lendit Fintech Weekly News Show. The show is streamed live on Lendit TV, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Twitter at 5 p.m. Eastern Time every Thursday. In this fast-paced show, the Lendit News team and a special guest discuss the most important fintech news stories of the past week. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Lendit Fintech Weekly News Show. My name is Peter Renton, Chairman and Co-Founder of Lendit Fintech, joined as always by my good friend and colleague, Todd Anderson. How are you doing, Todd? I'm good, Peter. How are you? And I'm great. And coming at, coming at us inside what looks like a wall of whiskey behind him, we have Andrew Dix <laughs> from Crowdfund Insider. How are you doing, Andrew? I'm doing, doing fine. Thank you, uh, Peter. Good to see you, Todd. Good to see you, Andrew. Okay, well, let's kick it off because we got a lot to cover today. Um, Want to kick it off with uh, the executive order from the president on crypto? Um, came out yesterday, and you know, it's. I mean, uh, people are calling it a watershed moment. I don't know if I'd go that far, but it certainly provides a little bit of clarity on for for, for the for the crypto community. Six key parts of the order: um, consumer investor protection, financial stability, illicit activity. U.S. competitiveness on the global stage. Glad they put that one in because that is key. Financial inclusion and responsible innovation. And then at the end of the report, uh, at the end of the order, he talked about CBDC research and development as well. So anyway, thoughts, gentlemen? I'll let Andrew go in on the, more of the, <laughs> the deep dive policy. But I I mean, uh, I thought it was kind of funny to see how uh, ballyhooed, I guess, the announcement was when – I mean, there was not much to the actual executive order. It was basically calling on uh, the different agencies and whatnot to, to kind of begin their coordinated approach to it. So I think it puts more uh, a seriousness behind uh, some of the stuff. And I think there's different timelines and everything in there. Um, so I think there's still a lot to be determined um, I think a lot of what's going on in the world with Ukraine and everything is a is really a key aspect to it in how they can really leverage sanctions. Um, and so I think there's a, a ton still um, that we need to, to have figured out. Um, but I think it's certainly a step in the right direction. Um, and, uh, you know, a shameless pug when I recently had Adam Dell on my podcast from domain money who basically said you know it's never been the case where policy leads the way it kind of the economy goes and policy fall, falls in behind it which is certainly feels as if this is the case here the market's moving and then you know obviously the the regulators are starting to get a handle on it and everything but uh, andrew you can can give more of a deep dive on the specific policy stuff as he's more of uh, an expert on that but i i thought there was a little bit over-the-top announcement of it, personally? Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to disagree with you, uh, with either of you on this. I think that um, there was a, a certain amount of concern due to the, the events in Ukraine and Russia that they were going to be more prescriptive in illicit activity, but they were not. And if you look at the bullets that they provided, they were pretty high level with, yeah. you know, very little, well, you have to do this instead of, you know, we're going to look at this, which, you know, we kind of already knew to, to a large degree. So I think from, you know, 
the, the different sides of the different stakeholders is industry people, you know, they have to rush out and they have to embrace this and they have to be positive. And they say, this is a win for us because look, they want to make certain that we're going to be leading in digital asset innovation, which is, which is good. I'm glad they said that. And it appears to be true. On the other side, there's people who don't like digital assets um, who probably are going to probably put a different perspective on things. I thought it was interesting that uh, the chairman of the SEC, Gary Gensler, quickly tweeted how he was you know, looking forward to working uh, together to uh, pursue investor protection and, and guard against illicit activity, not mentioning innovation at all. So right. obviously you have some uh, differences of, of opinion here as to how it's going to work out. I think that uh, tr- Treasury appears to be coming around to the benefits of, of digital assets and blockchain technology, and they seem to, to have started to understand that there are some things that can be helpful for the financial services sector. Um, what was missing, uh, and I'm going to credit uh, Congressman Tom Emmer on this, he, he mentioned this in a series of tweets, that they mentioned nothing about DeFi or decentralization. It's, it's kind of an elephant in the room. I mean, what do you do with that? They don't know. Nobody wants to right. really touch it. It's a hot button item. So there, there's, yes, we have to read between the lines. I thought it was positive. It was, you know, kind of like, you know, Ah, okay, cool. When it could have been like, oh no, we're doomed, sort of thing. Right. Um, so I'd say say it's a win for the industry. I say overall, yeah. it's a win for the industry, and they need to bear hug it. Yeah, I think that's what the that's what the sentiment was. It wasn't a loss. That's the that's the big thing yeah. that I think people were were afraid of. I think we could start inferring that DeFi is going to lose big in the end. <laughs> uh, that's just, a good. Uh, you know, if you want to d- jump into that, I I find that fascinating. It's I, just I don't I just, see them feeling or getting comfortable without these you know the kyc checks and everything like they're just not gonna get to that point anytime soon i think yeah. they're gonna try to separate the two issues uh and i think they're gonna kick the can down the road on DeFi, and it's it's gonna be a shame that they won't even address it well it's, i don't want to dig in i don't want to dive into that because that could take the next 10 minutes um <laughs> suffice to say that, 10 uh, minutes 10 hours <laughs> okay at least okay. So I want to I want to move on to uh, to the war in uh, in Russia and Ukraine and and, and the um, you know the consequences that's being that's happening there. Just um, in the in the past week, uh, we saw over the weekend Amex uh, decided they're pulling out. PayPal is pulling out. That's after Visa and Mastercard had already said they're pulling out. Amex cards. If you have an Amex card, it will not work in Russia. If you have a Russian issued Amex card, it will not work anywhere. And um, and PayPal, <clears throat> a similar thing, but their PayPal are allowing uh, customers to process withdrawals for a period of time. We don't know. We don't know how long that is. I mean, to me, it comes down to you know. At one point, are you hurting the wrong people? Uh, and eventually, you have to unwind some of this when there is some sort of resolution. And what does that look like? Yeah. Uh, and where do we go from there? Like, granted, I, I, uh, I'm not necessarily against some of the, you, know, you need to have sanctions. You can't go to war and, and, you know, start world war three, but at what point, wh- where's the line where it's like, is this really hurting who you're intending it to hurt when there's, I'm sure there's millions of people in Russia that ha- want to just go about their lives. Uh, and the impact 
it goes in that direction. And then you have to think when there is an end game, are these companies, are these, um, you know, different rails, are they just going to be turned back on? Some of this doesn't feel like it can just go back on. And then mm. where do we go from there? So it's, there's a lot of layers to this. I think we've in the, there's been a simplicity um, to this thus far um, in many ways, at least the, the reporting of it. But um, I think there's a lot of layers that we haven't fully unpacked yet. Uh, and whether or not they really get to the heart of, who's who they want to really hurt. And I'm not sure. Yeah, I think that, you know, I think you're, you're right there because it's, it's kind of a scorched earth policy here and where it impacts everyone. That being said, for the visa and the MasterCard cards that are issued domestically in Russia, they will continue to operate domestically. So a lot of people will continue to have access to their, their fast declining ruble <laughs> uh, which lost a lot of value in, in, re, in recent days. Um, so I would say that this is kind of a, a new you know, uh, front in war. This is an economic war right now, whereas, you know, Vladimir Putin's going medieval on us and, and he's going to, you know, circle and lay siege. The United States and the West has a, a pretty pretty strong card with their economic sanctions, yep. and I think that um, that they're going to be effective uh, in the near term. We don't really know what's going to happen in the long term. There's always the risk of un, un, unintended consequences as to how this will manifest itself. Um, clearly, it's a it's a better option. Uh, than you know, bombing uh, uh, St. Petersburg or the Kremlin, um, and, and I think that we had to do something. And it's not—it's messy. It's—it's it's not clean. Uh, you know, we disconnected seventy percent of the banks from SWIFT. Uh, we we went after the central bank, which is going to hurt. Uh, we wrote something today where um, I think the majority of the of the the. The, the trade goes through dollars and then other hard currency because, you know, who wants a ruble? Um, so it's going to, it's going to have traction. It's going to hurt. It's not just going to be the oligarchs or the elites. It's going to be the, the wider population. Um, and whether it will be effective in the way we want it to be effective, we're going to find out, yep, you know, yep. you just, you, you, you can't, you can't, can't argue with that. I think that I, I could go on and on and on about this, um, but I want to, I want to, I need to cut my, myself short. I think it, it's the right move in, in the near term. Uh, but I do think once a resolution is found, we will quickly, you know, uh, reverse gears and, and, and pull back. Right. Russia is in a bad spot. They talk about partnering with China. China's, you know, SIP system is, is not in any way, you know, similar to, you know, what is on the global markets or, or SWIFT or anything. So, right. Russia isn't taking a this beat. It feels like the, the, an off-ramp would help, you know, come to a deal quicker. And the more that there's like this line and they can't restart things quickly, feels like it just lengthens out processes at times. I don't okay. Know. Well, we're not, we're not, we're not going to get into the, the details of, uh, you know, foreign policy here. So let's, uh, let's move on. Um, Coinbase had a blog post this week, which I thought was really interesting. They talked about, um, the fact that they're blocking 25,000 Russian-linked crypto addresses. 
Um, these are these are most of these accounts were they've been monitoring since before the the war in Ukraine. Um, but the thing that I thought was most interesting, and this is just not being made public enough, and I, I wish Elizabeth Warren would listen to this. They are not <laughs> no seeing, way. They are not seeing a surge in activity to evade sanctions. That's like that. That is basically you can think about. It. He said digital assets. This is a quote from the from the blog post. Digital assets are traceable, permanent, and public. And that's the thing that Coinbase is. If if we if if Russian government was trying to evade sanctions, we would see, Coinbase would see it. Other people would we would see it in the on the blockchain. And that's simply not happening. It's a fundamental misunderstanding that many people in Congress, Emmert and and uh, Mc uh, McHenry. Uh, McHenry and a few others uh, have a pretty in depth knowledge of, but many others don't, and. You know, it's that's the part of the, um, you know, the uh, the letter this week that still makes me nervous for the industry is that, you know, the gap is still pretty wide, and there's a there's a handful that, that are super knowledgeable and have spent time had you know probably buy and trade crypto to get a sense have done DeFi transactions to get a sense of what this is all about, and most are just reading the you know, the, the little paragraphs that are in front of them, put them by the staff. Uh, and it's, yeah, I know it's a win this week, but it's still, it's a nervous win. If I was in the, yeah. the industry, you have to publicly, you have to be obviously very accepting, accepting of it, but I'd still be a little bit on the edge of my seat. Yeah. So facts, the crypto market is simply not, large enough to be able to materially aid the Russian government. It's yeah. just, it's yeah. just not, you know, you're spitballing. It's not going to happen. So anybody that says, well, the Russian government's going to use crypto to evade sanctions has no idea what they're talking about. Like certain senators uh, that we know <laughs> um, it, now, you know, could, could the elites or oligarchs uh, use or try to use, they, they could try, but as Coinbase and other platforms pointed out, it's very transparent. Sure, there's there's Monero, it's a privacy coin, but it's not really that private and the market cap's not that big, so what are you going to yeah. do? It's really not an effective vehicle to evade uh, um, you know, the watchful eye of, of, of our government and other governments. And, you know, frankly, there's, there's far more effective ways to to get around um sanctions so i just i don't see it happening every every crypto exchange in the united states or marketplace whatever we'll call it they're applying in kyc aml rules mm -hmm. and regulations all the big crypto exchanges in the world are doing the same because of the fat for travel rule or they're they're going to and they certainly do not want to upset the u.s government or the eu right. so they're not going to be letting themselves be used to to launder money um i guess you know worst case scenario is, is there's what about 300 crypto exchanges in the world and you know most of them do nothing in 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 transfers you know maybe you could induce a couple of those but i mean it's just not going to happen right and it's, that's that, that's 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 the thing that i think uh you know i think it was chain analysis i read um that they they have seen no new whales come into crypto in in the last like two weeks so no new whales no no new big um you know, big crypto uh, movements happening in the you know the multi-billion dollar sort of crypto movements it's just not happening. So you, there's there's the, the probably many many small time holders of crypto are using it to 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 
to limit the, the sanctions, but uh, they are um, they're Russian citizens, most likely. Or Just Ukrainian. look how comp- look how complicated it was for some large asset managers to acquire 400, 500, 600 million worth of Bitcoin. Like it takes a lot, right? To right. to get it that, it, and it's not it's not it doesn't happen over the span of a couple of days. Right. Yeah, there's a few podcasts that the asset managers explain like it's a lot of work and it's not easy to do. And yeah, totally there's no way that, that it's yeah. like, oh yeah, I just evaded sanctions like that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, you know, the thing, the, the thing I want to, one more point before you okay. move on, Peter, is that the thing that interests me about the Coinbase statement was they had stopped 25,000 accounts. It's like, are there 25,000 rich people in Russia? I thought there were like <laughs> a couple dozen, right? I mean, you know, how many, how many oligarchs are there? But I mean, okay, go on. Yes. Okay. So let's talk about better.com who did not have a good week. Um, certainly their, their employees didn't. Uh, laying off 50% of their staff this week. They were, you know, they're up almost to 10,000 people at the, at the height of the pan, or the, I'll say the height of the pandemic, the height of the real estate boom. Um, and now they are down to 4,000 people roughly. And uh, this was, and this was just, I mean, I think the person who's running HR at uh, Better.com is really not uh, not not. They, they continue to make mistakes. Let's just say that severance checks were severance um, deposits were received before formal notice went out um, to employees. Uh, it, it's there was no telegraphing this was going to happen, um, and this came so the email notification did not come from CEO Vishal Garg. It came from the CFO. Of better.com so just just really ugly and just I, I don't know what to make of it really it's not i always thought vishal was a super sharp guy very driven but man it's all unraveling this should some agency or or um something should do a um case study on how not to <laughs> treat your employees and lay off people and and downsize uh, a company because it seems like they've checked every box on what not to do. Yeah. <laughs> well, at least they got a check. It could have been just like a box full of your stuff on your desk and the door. <laughs> right. <box>. That's true. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I, is question. Is, is this a smoking gun? Are there bigger problems there? Is there, a, are there other things under the hood that we, you know, are going to hear about or we don't want to hear about? I don't know. And then my mm-hmm. next question is, is this a canary in the coal mine? Yeah, that's a good. That's a good point. I mean, I don't know. I mean, is it is it just um, the real estate? I mean, they aggressively hired. I mean, they went from like you know thousand people to ten thousand people in a year and a half, and that's uh, that's pretty rapid. I, I just, I actually refinanced my mortgage with Better about a year ago, and it was a fantastic, fantastic experience. Really, the best experience I've ever had. Um, doing uh, doing a real estate transaction, and uh, so the, 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 clearly they're doing some things. Well, they're doing some things right. Um, yeah, I mean the technology seems to be, you know, great from your experience. And I I was going to do it through them, but I happened to do it through someone else. Uh, but it just seems like they. Who'd you do? Who'd you do it through? I'm curious because I did it too. <laughs> mine. Yeah. Uh, it was Freedom it. Mortgage. It was a, I did a local Depot. local uh, mortgage lender. Uh, I did Loan Depot. All right, that, that, that was that was my other one. I was going to try, but better, better had great rates, and it was just a great, great experience. Anyway, let's move on. Earnings, Marketa, 
you wrote about this, I think, Andrew. Uh, they did earnings uh, this week, $155 million in revenue. Still losing money, not surprising um, for a fintech, but they are up to full year revenue, $517 million. Um, that's that's pretty decent. Total processing volume, $33 billion. I think Maketa just continue to impress me personally, but their numbers aren't uh, uh, aren't that great yet. But um, I have to see what their stock is doing. But uh, what, what were your thoughts, Andrew? Yeah, you know, for some reason I love Marquetta, um, and it's and it's one of these fintechs that is not sexy at all. I mean, there's right. no like you know, there's no shiny here. It's 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 really you know it's the gears that r- makes things work in the background. But that being said, I think um, I think leadership is strong, and you know, in leadership has created a, a platform and a service that has been able to execute rapidly and globally, and the. When I looked at the numbers first, I was like, ah, they're losing, you know, they're, they're growing, yeah. But really, uh, what Wall Street liked was their um, forecast for the, the, the coming quarter and the, the growth that they were showing. And so today, everything was down. But, um, but the, the shares uh, rose in after hours trading after they released the, the, the numbers and the forecast. And the forecast was strong. And they continue to ink partnerships with, you know, important players around the right. world. And that's what you want to see in a market where you potentially have, you know, other competitors that can do similar products. But uh, I think right now they're, you know, they're the horse leading the race. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Yeah, the, the partnership point was, if you didn't bring it up, Andrew, that was my point. And so it's, you know, when, when they start, you know, the bench gets deeper with partners that good, um, you know, clearly they're doing something right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I want to talk about some fundraising. We had a couple of big rounds or several big rounds this week, two I want to mention here. First, Acorns, um, $300 million Series F. And this was interesting because Acorns were supposed to go public via SPAC this year, and that is uh, that is no longer happening. They've canceled that deal, um, so they, they've raised another round to give them some runway. Uh, the round was led by TPG, many big names, BlackRock, Bain, Graycroft, several others uh, in in this round. Uh, I think it will also – I think Kevin Gunn um, – Kevin um, – Durant? Durant. I was going to say Garnett, but no, Kevin Durant. A few years ago, maybe it would have been him. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Kevin Durant is, uh, was also involved in this, um, and they said they're going to do a traditional IPO now when, uh, when they get around, when, when, the, when the markets are more favorable. I'm an Ace Corns customer. Um, you know, I like the fact that it just takes a little bit off the transaction, moves it over, puts it in a... Um, Yo, a nice uh, um, ETF, or yeah, I forget their exact one. I have so many different ones these days, but um, it's it's a nice product uh, that um, doesn't cost very much and kind of has this this self driving aspect to it, which is nice, especially for the wealth management type tools. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all of a sudden, it's like five years go by, and there's a nice little nice little nest egg for you. And it's to me, I think it's a um, a nice add-on something to something you know else that that's a bit more active in uh, your portfolio or um, your financial life, and so um, you know obviously the SPAC move was good because of what's happened to that market. Uh, I'd be curious how the IPO goes, but you know they must be doing something right if they could raise three hundred million in that pretty short of a time frame after 
giving up on the spec. Yep. Yeah. Um, the, 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 the SPAC angle there was very interesting. And the SPAC deal was valued a little bit more. Um, and so uh, Acorns had to, you know, kind of twist themselves into a pretzel to explain why, why this, this deal w- was better. And I think in the end it, it, it was or it will be. I think the key thing here is that Acorns, um, they want to continue to roll out, you know, new services uh, they want to be kind of the the next Robin Hood, and if you look at the valuation of Acorns today, which is about uh, what two billion, uh, Robin Hood is about what ten billion, uh, and but Robin Hood has, has about I think more than two x, a little bit more than two x the number of, of accounts. So I think that if Acorns executes on on its mission, it's it's heading in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Um, now, when, when do markets recover? That's probably the, the, the big variable there because we're all kind of fucked until, you know, Russia <laughs> decides that they, they don't, they'll get out of Ukraine. So, right. 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 But, but yeah, I'd say it's a good deal. I think it's a good deal. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the other one that I want to talk about is Marlette. Uh, they raised $225 million series E. Um, the round was led by, uh, the, um, on t- it was actually a Canadian pension fund, uh, the health, I can't remember, it's, it's, it's H-O-O-P-P. I can't remember, can't remember exactly what that stands for. But uh, anyway, it was, um, yeah, the, yeah, Barlett have been around for a while. They they had a phenomenal year last year. I, I chatted with, uh, with, with the CEO last, um, last week and, you know, they've done, you know, they, they've, they did $300 million in revenue Um still obviously a private company they've got they launched a new credit card because keep in mind the barlet guys all worked at barclay card most of their management team were uh, launched the barclay card in in the u.s uh, in like in the like 18 years ago but uh so they've got a lot of experience there so now Marlet has a credit card or a best egg i should say and they also have a financial health offering which um i think is a is a good move Todd, do you have anything? Do you want me to say something? <laughs> yeah, you go in this one. I mean, I, yeah, I can I mean, say it better than Peter. So <laughs> I agree. I, yeah, um, <laughs> this is this is one I, I, I honestly I, I didn't I didn't write about or I didn't read much into it. But I would say this that as you wrote, Peter, that they are um, you know uh, profitable, and I think that's probably a key thing in seeing a pension fund participate saying, okay, they've turned the corner on that. Uh, so, uh, you know, you spoke to the, to the CEO and, and it looks like it's another leadership player where they're actually ex- executing on the goals. They have the, the traditional experience, old banking experience that they're leveraging to, you know, put the work in a, in a fintech platform and it's working. Right. The only thing I'll, I guess I'll add, uh, being that um, I've thought of something now to say different than <laughs> Peter, uh, is you know we've seen An- um, uh, Jeffrey up close. Uh, we went to China with him, and uh, it doesn't surprise me um, the way that they're able to execute. I mean, it's talk about a steady leader. Um, he's as, as steady as it gets, and. Uh, seeing how he is uh, and operates on a, a long trip when we went to China, it's just, it's, you know, it's very, very impressive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's move on. Um, upgrade. Um, our, our friends over at Upgrade, the Upgrade card ha- is, has uh, been recognized as the 
fastest growing credit card in America when it comes to outstanding balance. Apparently, there's something called the Nielsen Report. Uh, I, I just saw the article that you guys published, Andrew, and uh, yeah, it's uh, you know the upgrade upgrade cards number twenty seven. 27th um, now as far as total total outstanding balances, which is pretty impressive. The only fintech company apparently in the top 50. Uh, you know, I I, I give uh, Renault credit for, you know, what he's doing, what he's putting together, and he's, he's driving growth. And, you know, apparently uh, – you know, it's working. It's, it, it's, you know, sometimes he calls it a neobank. Sometimes he, he, he calls it something else, but I, but I think in the end it's, it's, it's going in the direction of a neobank. And I still, I think we talked about this once before, um, you know, he continues to say that he'll never pursue a, a bank charter. Uh, but I could see that happening or I could see something else happening where uh, a bank charter enters into the equation at mm-hmm. some point. Because I think that just makes sense. He just doesn't want to fill a lending club. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah. <laughs> okay, so we got time for one more uh, story before we wrap. I want to talk about Roofstock. You, uh, I think you wrote about this, Andrew. I love Roofstock. Um, there, they had another big funding round, two hundred and forty million dollars Series E, led by SoftBank. Um, they have 15,000 15, homes under management, $5 billion in transaction volume now. It's a, I mean, just Roostock, I think it's a great business, a great model, unique. They've invented like a new a new way of owning homes. And I've just always been a big fan of Gary Beasley and uh, what he's been doing over there. You know, once again, credit where credit's due. I, I was kind of, when I got it, I was like, I'm like, wow, that's, you know, that's a good valuation. That's, that's a lot of money. Uh, and then I went back to look at the the last round that they did, and it was like only $50, $50 million. Um, you know, they they've they've figured out the secret sauce to to the market that was previously untapped, and the guys are they're they're nailing it for now. I mean, you can go on and you can buy a house and uh, you know finance that house and and generate income and then you know when it sells you get the capital gain and you've never even seen the house right, right? <laughs> and and uh, I think for a a smaller investor that's really an, an awesome alternative uh, because you know I'm sure that you know we all know people that have invested in, in owning properties and rental properties um you know wherever um they're making it easy and they're, they're making and the returns if you look at you know some of the returns that they're they're talking about they're really pretty good now the rental income you know it, it's it tends to be consistent and and whatever but you're in a low interest rate environment and, and so i think you're, you're generating good returns but if you can get that that capital gains you know kicker in there that's that's kind of a nice play and one thing that they said which i like is they're looking into the uh, short-term rental market, which I think is, I think it still has legs, right? right. The the whole you know home away, Airbnb, um, VRBO, Verbo, whatever it is. I think that that that's very interesting too, and I think that they can you know add some some velocity to that overall market. You know, right. where nobody's you know working in an office anymore. And, uh, you know, everybody's moving around. And I think you have this whole virtual generation that, you know, this, this, this is just another path to, 
to invest and and at the same time you know people are more transient so i, I it's a good i was pretty impressed with what they put together yep okay any thoughts todd should we wrap it up wrap it up okay we are out of time thank you everybody for watching uh, or listening we will be back same time next week but before i go quick plug for lended fintech usa the biggest event on the east coast when it comes to fintech in 2022 may 25th and 26th at the javits center go to lent.com go register okay, okay. thanks everybody thanks, thanks peter andrew. see you andrew thank you it's good seeing everybody. Yep. Bye.